You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Now, I think what the Komodo dragon, and, and you should see it on our front page, the face of it, this flat, rectangular, thick head, I think that's really what... What can they teach us? Back in 2009, there was a biochemist named Brian Fry that said, well, let's look at these bacterial strains. There's 50 of them. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. I remember the opening of the last species that had this in its name. There be dragons in the ocean, right? So now there be dragons on land. Here we go. Yes, and you will learn today if you can or cannot train your dragon. Uh, oh, there you go. That's good. A little kids movie there. Yeah, I know. I haven't seen it with my boys yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to We've read some of the books, so yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing that one when they get a little bit They're older. Cute. They're cute. Yeah. They're cute. They're cute. But dragons are real. We go back a few episodes. I think that's what spurned this. You're like, dragons aren't real. I'm like, Angie, dragons are real. We got sea dragons and now we have a Komodo dragon. So that is it's true. Real. Yes, I know. And we're, we're a few months too late, uh, from the Game of Thrones season finale. We should have. No, but hopefully there's a lot of people that are listening that haven't watched it. And so you'll learn more about dragon behavior and physiology and conservation today. <laughs> real dragon. I know. I, I read somewhere like people were so sick of podcasters talking about Game of Thrones. Oh, so. though we were we were probably smart not to talk about it then, yeah, right? I know, I know. But you know, it would have been cool to do this during then. But anyways, we uh we are talking about dragons today. The Komodo dragon, largest lizard on Earth. So we're we're going back to reptiles, which is amazing. They're they're so cool. And before we get going, I got to give a couple shout outs to people that, that guessed the blue ring octopus, Angie, when I'm doing this thing on Instagram and Facebook. So shout outs to Katie Jill Robert on Facebook, Paul from Varmint's podcast. He's a Hi, good Paul. close mm-hmm. friend of ours. He's awesome. He, uh, he was close. He said octopus. He didn't, I, I gave him the blue ring. So, so there you go, Paul. And then on Instagram, shout outs to Mustela Vision. Which I love that name. I love Fancy. that name. That might be the best ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tagged Muscle Vision in uh, my Instagram post today. Always what, when animals attacked podcasts. 
<laughs> so I think they want us to help them. They so I'm going to tell them if you're listening, do blue blue ring octopus. There you go. You guessed yes. it. So let's do uh go do your research on uh, when they last attacked. Or uh, the Komodo dragon. IV. We're going to have some of those t- statistics oh, today yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then playing with Ivy and Dr. Max Poliak. So and then I got to give a shout out to my good friend Joe Ricicci. He is finishing up vet school, Dr. Ricicci. He, uh, he posted today him and his All Creatures t-shirt, so thank you, Joe. But I just wanted to, to pump him up because he's been a good friend, incredible artist, did some of my artwork on my horse book, which I haven't talked about in a year. But anyways, but he did- You have it, one. It's he, awesome. Everybody buy yeah. it. There you go. Yes. There's your plug. <laughs> the, but he did uh, Reptile Rescue when he was a, a student at UF there. Right on. Yeah, yeah. He did a lot of Reptile Rescue, and he does some incredible work, uh, incredible artwork. Uh, and he's and he's about to graduate vet school, so congrats to to Joe. Congrats, Joe. Keep up the yeah. good work. Yep. And then just a quick hit on Patreon. We have conservation news was just released for June, and we did send some money off to Carolina Tiger Rescue. So thank you for our supporters. I think we we fed a, a few tigers for a couple of days. I think which is good. Awesome. Yeah, and that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yep, yep. And then our pa- Patreon supporters are voting on which fox to cover. So that that will be good. And then just a final plug, check us out on Instagram, Facebook page, Facebook group. Let's get talking about dragons. Get through all that. Yes. Now there be dragons. <laughs> I know. It's. I mean, you know, people, I read these comments on the podcasting forums. They're like, I hate it when the hosts just blabber on. Get to the point. So let's get to the point. They're really stinking cool. They are. That's, they are. These things are that awesome. That is, if you have time, if you're at home, pause this and go watch a couple Komodo Dragon videos on YouTube. Yes, they are amazing. They are amazing. So I have a fun fact before we get going. And again, you're going to stay tuned to the end and, and I'll give this to you. But I'm going to ask you, Angie, what movie did the Komodo Dragon inspire? Now, before you answer, I'm just going to say if you're what you're thinking of is probably wrong. So there you go. Okay. Because what I first thought, I was like, oh, easy, this one. And I was like, "Uh, no. I was really surprised, actually. So we'll we'll talk about it. It wasn't the the kids one you mentioned. It was (laughs) How to Train Your Dragon. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. Okay. No, 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 no. It's actually really – I was really surprised when I read it. It was really cool. It was really cool. But they definitely are – and we'll talk about this in the podcast, some of their natural history and – they really are awe-inspiring. I mean, I can see them inspiring a move, movie just from their gait, oh, yeah. from their face, mm-hmm. obviously from their uh, carnivorous, carry-on, amazing hunting and mm-hmm. eating abilities. Wait till we talk about nutrition and how they swallow things yes. in a few bites. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're uh, for people that have, I've had the privilege of um, seeing some behind scenes at a conservation mm-hmm. center here in Florida. And of course they can be found in several zoos throughout North America because they really are a crowd favorite. And I recently got to spend time with my family uh, at the animal kingdom and mm-hmm. we spent half an hour just watching this Komodo dragon and it's uh, exhibit displaying all these natural behaviors and moving around. And yeah, it was cool. They're really, they're, they're real, fun. They're fun. Yeah. They, I mean, they look like a living dinosaur. I mean, yes. they look like what we think dinosaurs. I mean, we know alligators, crocodiles, people think of that. This is, this is the land one that you watch walking around. You're like, Oh, that's a dinosaur. 
which we'll get, yeah. to. We'll get to in a second. We'll get to yes. No, but the, yeah. well, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that the Komodo dragon is large. It's the largest lizard. It's huge. Um, huge. And it's up to what? 10 feet? 10 feet, three meters. Yeah. Now, and the weight is controversial, right? It is. Did you read that? Yeah. So they say up to 300 pounds, but 140 kilograms, that's after they eat. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Sure. Yeah. yeah. If they just ate a 20 pound yeah, well, no, no, animal. No. 100 pound animal. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, mean, I think on average, they say 150 to 180 pounds. Yeah. I mean, I so know for, for my own well-being, I do not step on the scale after I eat a meal. <laughs> Just don't yeah. do it. My mother yeah. taught me very well. Thank you, mom. You, you yeah. get on the scale in your birthday suit first thing in the morning. That's how yeah. you weigh yourself yeah. and the only way yeah. you weigh yourself. Yeah. Unless you're at the doctors. And if you're at the doctors, you kick off your shoes. You take your sweatshirt yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need to worry about it. You're a waif. Uh, now, so their skin, you know, is black to spotty yellow, some of the description I read, scaly skin. Now, mm-hmm. I think what the Komodo dragon, and, and you should see it on our front page, the face of it, this flat, rectangular, thick head. I think that's really what gives it its appearance. I don't know. I just, its that's body's what, pretty radical too. That's what really draws me into the relation to a dinosaur, I think, is that, mm-hmm. yeah, just that, that the big flat head. And it's just, yeah, it has these distinct, uniform, large scales pretty uniform in color, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gray, brownish color. Juveniles are going to be a little bit more vibrant. They have uh, a little bit more yellows in their color pattern, but as they grow into adulthood, some of that, that flare goes away, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, and Chris, it really stands out to me watching some of the videos. And then of course, uh, when I get to see them live is their gait. They have this, Steady, I don't think ambling is the right word, but mm. gate where their hind legs kind of swing out and they, and they're, and they're going with intent. They've, mm-hmm. they've, they, they look tough. They, yeah, they look yeah. tough when they walk and the gate's really neat. But the other thing that was really striking to me is they can reach speeds of 10 to 13 miles per hour or 16 to yes. 20 kilometers yes. per hour, hour, which Unless you are an avid jogger slash runner, yes. that's faster run, than you. Yeah, they can run you down. They can run you down. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's that's a little little scary. That's a little scary. Just beautiful reptiles. So, Angie, one of the things I kept running across was this them calling them giants or gigantism. And so I was curious. I was like, okay, so they're, they're they're the largest lizard in the world. We know that. So you're like, okay, naturally you think they're giants for being a reptile. And, and they live on islands, so right. So is this this concept of of islands producing giant or dwarf animals? And so I did a little digging, and the the first thing that came up was this was first described in 1964 by Bristol Foster, and it became known as the Foster's Rule. And he noticed trends of smaller animals becoming much larger, like say rodents on islands. And then larger mammals becoming smaller, like some hippo species. Or elephants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or the elephants, right? And he argued that the islands had for, say, a rodent, less predators, you know. And we saw saw this with the moa, the elephant bird. You know, we kind of talked about those are giants, that birds that we talked about. 
uh, previously. And then the competitors, you know, so larger mammals become smaller because they, they need less resources. So, you know, and there's an evolutionary benefit for saying a rodent to become larger because then it can dominate. And then they also have a self check. And I didn't go down this rabbit hole. I was going to look, try to look into it. Uh, but I had a lot more research to do for the Komodo dragon. You know, how do rodents control their own populations? You know, I think is a, is a good question for maybe a future po- podcast because we tend to think rodents just breed, 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 breed. But in fact, they can control their own population, which is interesting. Where aerodactyls, you know, your favorite class of animals, hippos, deer, things like that, they can't control their population. They can't control their hormones. I don't know what it is. So that. <laughs> They had to be, you know, smaller so they wouldn't eat up all the food, stuff like that. But since then, obviously, you know, research, uh, it's been refined a little bit. And they've noticed that, say, on one island, rats, this rat species may be huge, but you go to another island and they're actually smaller. Hmm. So it, it really has led to a lot of scientific debate in the last 50 years. You know, it's going to depend on the island and its resources, and so that leads us to the Komodo dragon because everybody's kept saying they're a giant. And that's from the Flores Island. We're going to talk about their range here in a minute. And it, you think this is gigantism. You would. But, and I'm getting the cart a little bit before the horse. Where, well, I'll save it. I'll save it. Where they originated from, there was actually a larger lizard there that died out a few million years ago. That was twice the size. I mean, huge, huge lizard. I was going to say, my eyes just got really big. <laughs> huge lizard. And it migrated. They think that it, it migrated to the islands that you see today. So actually, they think it's more of a dwarf and not a giant, which is interesting. So it's, Science is so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Nothing it's really is cool. Fa- so. Nothing is a fact until it's just really researched and refined yeah. and... Everybody has to come to, uh, yeah, lots of evidence. Everybody has to come to an agreement on it. And clearly that's not the case with the Komodo dragon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really not a giant, even though it is the largest lizard in the world. It's actually a dwarf. So if you imagine if where this place was still had them, it would be, wait till we get there. I'm I'm getting, I'm there soon. So where these things live, we said Flores Island. That's their main big one. This is near Indonesia. Yeah. Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So obviously, Angie, they come where they got their name was Komodo Island. Sure. Right. And then you had Padar, Rinka, Gili Dazami, and then Gili Montong. But did you say one, there was an island that they haven't been found on? Yeah, they haven't been seen on the island of Padar since 1970. Okay. So, so yeah, they're probably, they're probably gone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from there. So we'll get to their conservation status because they, they are, they are suffering, and, and that kind of gets into why care. This is a, a reptile that has a huge ecolog- ecological niche where they live. They are carrion eaters. They're carnivores, so they control population of wildlife, and then they're nature's cleanup crew. So, again, when you know these food webs we keep talking about, when you start removing these animals from what's going on and – I know in our conservation news segment that wasn't released to the general public, you, you have to do Patreon, but we talked about gray whales, gray whales dying. And you and I had a healthy discussion on why. Mm-hmm. Why are gray whales dying off the West Coast of the United States at, at a huge rate right now? They're emaciated, they're starving, 
and I brought it up to you, I think the food web's starting to break down in the oceans in some areas. I mean, I, I think it definitely is. So again, we're starting to see the, the effects on animals. So again, here we go. Another major, major predator being wiped out. Right. I mean, I, I think there are, there's multiple reasons of why I care about them. <laughs> First of all, watch some YouTube videos of yes. males fighting. That'll make you want to keep these around because it's pretty entertaining. Um, and as we dive deeper in the podcast too about their behavior, uh, I think I will hopefully convince you that they have a lot of personality and even intelligence uh, for a reptile species. So they've got that going for them. They've got their size. They have so many unique physiology fun facts that you're going to learn about today. So that's just a general reason of why I care. But Chris touched on their ecosystem role as far as them being the largest predator in the area, a uh, top predator, and they get rid of carrion, which can carry disease, uh, and they scavenge up just the messes and nobody, nature's cleanup crew. And then when we turn our attention to humans, right, because unfortunately for a lot of people and governments, it's all about us. So why we should care about what they do for us humans is huge in that area of Indonesia because Komodo dragons are really important for an ecotourism draw. And the great news is, and I want to give a shout out to the Indonesian government and laws that they, is they've recognized this a while ago. And so they have a lot of laws in place to protect them, especially in Komodo National Park. That's probably the primary tourist draw. And then several other protected areas throughout the islands that they inhabit and other areas where the Komodo dragon is found. And they have in place education and they are subject to international management and trade controls. So the government's paying attention, which is huge. Um, Mm -hmm. In any case Mm -hmm. where animals are conserved, the government has to have a huge role. And so the ecotourism draw has been really, really important to their conservation. And of course, the local communities around the surrounding area, and they want to keep that going. And so they want to obviously protect the Komodo dragons. But what's really interesting too, is scientists in the area are learning more and more about this venom that they produce and their saliva and ways that they basically end up killing their prey, which Chris and I are going to talk Mm -hmm. extensively about when we get to nutrition and hunting and behavior and things like this. But it is well known that they carry a lot of bacteria in their mouth and researchers have isolated a powerful antibacterial peptide from the blood plasma of the Komodo dragon called VK25. And they're testing it against multi-resistant bacteria because Mm -hmm. We have problems with that. It's a, a superbugs. It's a it's a growing issue here in the U.S. and I'm sure in other countries as well, obviously. And so they're hoping they could be effective to basically knock out some of these drug resistant bacteria bacterial strains and even fungi. So hmm. from a research point of view, anybody that's had a bacterial infection in a hospital or right, right. had issues with that, you know, if this animal um, has uh, basically a peptide that can mm. fight that or protect right. us from it. That's huge. So yeah. that's kind of the bio, biomedical, biotech 
uh, potential, aspect, uh, yeah. yeah, aspect of why we should care it's about cra- this animal. It's so, so crazy what we're learning, Angie. Angie. Well, they just learned recently that they, you know, they originally thought they, yeah. we'll get into it, but they're, the, yeah. the more we study them, the more we learn about how fascinating their physiology is. And so it'd be a shame for, I, I read that there's anywhere yeah. from three to 6,000 left. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, <sighs> We've covered now what seventy two species, seventy three species, and that's always something you talk about is kind of the biomedical aspects on a lot of these animals that we're learning. <laughs> Can about. you tell I'm really I'm really into biomedical technology? No, I, I but just that's love cool, the pathways. In, yeah. No, and no, I'm about to jump into evolution, but it blows my mind. It blows my mind what we can learn. I still go over elephant seals diving almost a mile down or five thousand feet or whatever it was. You know, an elephant seal diving deeper than whales. Right. You know, what can we learn from that? I go to, you know, I don't know. I always bring up the, the transmutable cancer because it's just so insane with the Tassie devils. I mean, there's just every species we cover, we're learning so much, not just natural history or, or cool facts, but things that are applicable to our lives. Right. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, what species have we knocked out already that, that could have saved certain diseases or something? We don't know. What plant species? You know? I, so, yeah, something that struck me as a very young person, teenager even, if you will, about, I don't know why, and I don't know why it's the rainforest, because there's plenty of forests around the mm-hmm. world that aren't just the rainforest. But I just always am like, I, somewhere deep inside me, I'm like, I bet the cure of cancer is down there in that rainforest somewhere, and we're just wiping it out. And that was a slightly naive uh, thought of mine as now I understand more about cancer and how it works and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. there is definitely a lot of secrets that have not been tapped in both oh, yeah. plant and animal yeah. world. And yeah. it would be a shame to wipe them out before we have a chance to, to learn from them, right? Yeah. Uh, learn about them and learn from them. And so, yeah. So hopefully – Chris and I will convince you if you weren't a Komodo yeah. dragon fan because they seem big yeah. or scary or you heard that they were yeah. venomous or whatever it is, right. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll convince you. Stick with us. We're going to have yeah, some fun. Yeah, they're cool. Oh, they're so So my cool. question is – yeah, they're so cool. So my question was, are they related to dinosaurs? Because that's what your natural – Yes, they have of, to be, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's the big question. Okay. So let's go down this, this, this path. So first, reptiles evolved around 320 million years ago. Before dinosaurs. Wow. Okay. So reptiles basically as an organism have scales or scutes, which we've Mm -hmm. talked about, bony plates. They lay eggs. They're ectothermic. So that means they're cold blooded. They need external heat sources. That doesn't mean their blood is ice cold. It just means it's, it's cooler and they need to go out in the sun uh, or a heat source to warm up. Now, the reptiles came out of the swamps of the Carboniferous period. So you think lots of carbon. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where we get a lot of our, our stuff today out of the ground during that period because it was just thick, thick swamps and forests. And that's when they, they emerged. Now, so reptiles came before dinosaurs. So did reptiles, did, did today's reptiles come from dinosaurs? That question is no, no. Gotcha. The, okay. But the reptiles, like I said, split into two main lineages about 260 million years ago. So they had the archosaurs, which we talked about in saltwater crocs. So they became crocs 
and dinosaurs. Right. So dinosaurs came from reptiles. Okay. Mm. So we still go back. Are are reptiles dinosaurs? Well, okay. There's yeah. Re- dinosaurs came from reptiles. Then the lepidosaurs became today's lizards, snakes, and and uh, things like that. Now, dinosaurs we do know have differences from reptiles. They're warm blooded. Mm-hmm. They think they had feathers. That's becoming a big thing now. You know, we've seen you know your your local dinosaur expert in your house, Xander. Oh yes, Archaeac- so let- Archaeaco. Oh, man, I- he'd be so embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> go wake him up. <laughs> yeah. I should no, no, never wake up. No, 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 no. Archaeopteryx. I think that's it. Okay. I would bet okay. a dollar okay. on that. Archaeopteryx. Okay. Okay. I believe so it's the first one that the link from uh, the link from the dinos to the feathers. Okay. Okay. So that led them be- becoming more related to birds, mm-hmm. but dinosaurs are in the class reptilia. So, so what the heck are they reptiles or I'm not? I'm confused. Is the chicken, the egg, the I egg, know. the chicken? Help I me know. out, Chris. So technically yes yes they are reptiles they they do trace their ancestry back to early reptiles but we also know so are mammals and birds mm-hmm. so we're reptiles too <laughs> we have that lizard brain that we oh we do it's the cerebellum that's what i call it yep. yeah yeah so it's a yes and no question it's Ouch. a yes and no answer actually yeah that doesn't because, make it easy no because the classification system that is set up the modern classification system we use was not set up for extinct animals, only for what we have today. So technically, while they are dinosaurs, are reptiles or reptiles are dinosaurs, really they're not because dinosaurs are warm-blooded, things like that. Okay, so it's a yes and no. I'm sorry, it, it, that, that's not very satisfying. <laughs> but that's the history of it. No, it is. You know, you did a great job kind yeah. of explaining it and dissecting it. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was cool. I was like, oh, cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. You look back at this history stuff. Now, so the they're really name, old. Komodo dragons are really old and really important for us to not wipe out in our lifetime. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, all of us are. We're all ancient. I mean, mammals were millions and millions of years ago. But, uh, you know, the, you look at a reptile came before dinosaurs. I mean, that's hard to think. We talked about octopus dominating 360 million years ago. They're going to dominate about, again when it's all said and done. Yeah. <laughs> jellyfish. <laughs> we go back to jellyfish. They've been around 700 million years, roughly. So, yeah, crazy, crazy. Now, Komodo dragon, their scientific name is Varanus komododensis. And this are, and the Varanus is monitor lizards. Right. Okay, so these big lizards. So from Africa, Oceania, which we're talking about now, Asia. And... Now, Komodo dragons, I, I kind of saved this, evolved not on Komodo Island, not on Flores, but where? Can I have a hint? You know. <laughs> what kills you? What You step on this continent and it's just like everything will kill you. <laughs> but I still want to go there and move there and hopefully oh, somebody will hire us someday. Australia. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So they evolved on Australia. Of course so they did. So we're just Of course. Yeah, of they course. Did. I know. Yeah. And this has been We love you discovered. Australia and the things that you make oh. and how gnarly they are. <laughs> oh. I just I, I love covering species from Australia. They're just uh, so such an amazing biome. I know we need our Australian fans to vote for what we should do next. 
And they've had, we've had a bunch. Oh my gosh. There's like a million species on there for, to cover. So yeah, Australia and recent fossil evidence has shown that they evolved, you know, roughly 4 million years ago. So yeah, they're, they're ancient. They are old. And then they, they estimate they migrated to Flores about 900,000 years ago. And then their size, like I said, they're not giants. They think they're actually dwarfs because their relatives were huge. Right. Huge. So they really weren't giant. And here's their relative, Angie, the largest lizard ever. So Australia hosts some of the largest lizards on Earth for the last 4 million years. So this was Megalania. And this was once the world's largest terrestrial lizard. But it died out about 40,000 years ago. On average, it was 18 to 23 feet long and weighed anywhere from 1,200 to 1,600 pounds. Yowzers. So for metric fans, that's <laughs> 5.5 meters or 575 kilograms. That is a huge, huge lizard that looked somewhat like a Komodo dragon. Wow. So imagine running into that in the wild. <laughs> like, and humans did. They think course, yeah. possibly the Aborigines drove them to extinction, possibly when they migrated over into Australia. I mean, you almost can't blame so them. Humans- <laughs> <laughs> I know. Between that and the elephant bird, like goodness. Oh, so anyway, some cool facts on their history. Today, the Komodo dragon, they, they live about 30 years in the wild. That's kind of debatable. Yeah, scientists are under human mm-hmm. care. Uh, scientists are still studying this. Now, you did talk about their speed. I thought what a cool fact that they do. Sorry, this gets into your behavior. But when they threatened, they'll throw up their meal to lighten the load. (laughs) I read that. I I couldn't find too many places to confirm it. I definitely read that. I just also like, how often are they threatened, though? I guess they'd be not really threatened by another predator, but maybe threatened by... Another Komodo dragon. Another lizard. And we'll talk a lot yeah, about that behavior. It's kind of yeah. their hierarchy of who's the tough guy in town versus who's not. So yeah, I guess if you're a submissive or younger, uh, and you need to get away from a big Komodo d- dragon, that might. No, you just puke and say, here, here's my offer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, usually, I usually here. pee and run away, but teach their own, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's like, that's a good offering, Angie. Just puke. Yeah, I'll the, switch it up. You know, then the bigger Komodo will go, okay, free mail. Uh, there we go. Oh, he went this. there. Wow. Yeah, it's true. That's, yeah. that's not your, no, I'm saying the Komodo dragon. That's what I'm up, saying. You. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> Sorry. That was a random tangent. <laughs> they do have good, decent vision. They said they, you know, can see. 300 meters or a thousand feet away, they can sense prey. And I know you're kind of the, the physiology expert right now. So they only have cones in the eyes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, Chris. And when the research that I read said that the Komodo dragons only have cones in the retina. So the retina is the photoreceptor neuronal tissue of the eye. And the cones are the photoreceptors in charge of color. So they probably are able to see some color, but what they don't have is rods. And rods are the photoreceptors that are the grayscale colors. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say black and white, but they're typically associated with night vision. And so it's thought that the Komodo dragons, since they lack rods, I think I lack some rods too. I think my rods aren't working too well. <laughs> I have 
really bad night vision. John, <laughs> all, yeah, John always dries at nighttime. Yeah. And so yeah. anyways, but yes, the rods are associated with nighttime vision. And so they think that that's, they do most of their hunting during the day. And at nighttime they're, they're like mm-hmm. me, they're helpless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I read that. And and then I heard their hearing's okay, but yeah. they don't hear the wide range of sounds. Well, yeah. And from a physiology point of view, I, I wonder if any of my most recent students are listening. Probably not. Bless their hearts. I need to offer extra credit to, to kind of force their hand, right? Is that allowed? Is that, that's probably not allowed. That's probably like some teaching code. You're yeah, not, yeah, not able to yeah. give extra credit for a podcast. No, 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 no. At any rate, yeah. uh, they only have a single ear bone. So us humans, we have three bones in our ear and the middle, in our middle ear, mm-hmm. uh, the malus, the inks and the stapes, stapes. People say it differently, yeah. uh, but they only have the stapes. It's the one that looks like the stirrup that then hits into the cochlea, the actual hearing organ. So they only have the stapes. And so they have augmented sound, but so research has shown that they can only hear sounds in the 400 to 2000 Hertz range, which doesn't mean much unless you compare it. And so us humans, we can hear 20 to 20,000. Hertz range. So it was always kind of thought among keepers and people that worked with Komodo dragons that they were actually deaf. But cool enough, this is why we love our keepers. Uh, a keeper out of the London Zoological Garden, her name was Joan. She basically trained a Komodo dragon to come out when it was feeding time just by calling its name. And yeah. Okay. And so that, that gave That's researchers cool. a little cool. bit like, Oh, well, we should probably look into this. They're obviously not deaf. They just once again have a different range. And so that's what they figure they have mm-hmm. less hearing capacity because they don't really necessarily need it for hunting. And we'll get to that when we get to hunting behaviors. So yeah, a little, a little ear, inner ear physiology for you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I think their, their big thing too, being a reptile is that forked tongue. And I know we talked about this with snakes. You know, going back to, you know, I think it was, it was our Eastern Diamondback episode where the forked tongue is used for smell and taste. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, right. So let's say there's a deer that's one of their, their prey and you have that forked tongue. They, they flick it out, pull it into that was Johnson's organ. Was that what it was called again? I think uh, Jacobson's organ. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was close. A J organ. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write it down, but yeah, I remember that. Close the only counts organ. in horseshoes and was it close <laughs> only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. There's the yeah. joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. But you know, okay. So, you know, let's say they get, they, they flick it out. It comes in, they sense the left fork, more of those molecules of a deer smell or taste that indicates their praise to the left. If it's more on the right, that indicates it's to the right. If it's even, it's probably ahead of them possibly behind them. So they have incredible smell capability up to two and a half miles or four kilometers away. And I, I read up to read, six miles, but yeah. I think two and a half is, yeah. Yeah. And even then they said, I read that people that live there when they bury their dead, these lizards were breaking in and eating them. So they have to like bury them deep in the hard soil and then put a bunch of rocks on top so they can't get down to them. Yes. Like they can smell that well with that tongue. Like crazy. crazy. Wow. Yes. They're grave robbers. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Yikes. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So people, local people have learned how to navigate that. Uh, but no, it's, it's really fascinating. And 
and along with that, one of the behaviors that they'll often do is they'll swing their head either when they're standing or when they're doing that lumbering gait. And part of that is moving its head side to side with its tongue, moving its tongue in and out as they are mm. smelling the air. Do I need to go more to the right? Do I need to go more to the left? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so just mm-hmm. super fascinating. And uh, it's just hard to even imagine that capability. Yeah, I know. I know. The the final thing, I mean, we talk about the head and the mouth is they have about 60 short, sharp teeth, almost like sharks in their massive jaws. And this was really interesting that they actually go through four to five sets of teeth in a lifetime like sharks. I'm like, what? What? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, they're like land sharks. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads me into nutrition, what, what they eat. We've talked about carrion. They love carrion, but they will hunt, you know, from small rodents, goats, boars, sometimes monkeys. The, I've seen the video. Oh, I watched a video of them gulping down a monkey and it was made me very sad. And a pig. And the water buffalo. And a water buffalo one I've seen. I know. (laughs) Okay. Why do we care about these things again? (laughs) It's nature. I just get trapped in these YouTube, just these amazing videos. And yeah, I have a fun job. The one I've seen, the one I've seen is the water buffalo. And so what they use is they're, when they're hunting, not eating carrion, but hunting, they use stealth and power. And an ambush. Have an ambush. Mm-hmm. They have venom. So that bacteria in the saliva. So what they'll do, like the water buffalo one I watched, they went up and bit it mm-hmm. and made a wound. And then they have that slimy saliva that, that attaches and the bacteria gets in it's there. Red in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in over a few days, that water buffalo will die. And then there's their meal. So, which is interesting. It doesn't affect other Komodo dragons, the bacteria. They're, they're resistant to it. So once that animal has died or, or they find a carrion. So, right, Chris. Well, it's, it's quite interesting. And, and bless science heart. It's always looking for the right answers. And so, and historically, I don't know for how long, but for a long time, it was thought that the bacteria, up to 50 strains even, that was contained in the saliva of the Komodo dragon was what was responsible for a death um, due to septicemia or just bacterial infection uh, a few days post being bitten, right? So they'd bite the their prey, a big, and this is if it was too big for them to swallow Bigger, on hand. Deer, right? things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then eventually the animal would, would, would die and then they would find it using their tongue to sniff it out. Uh, and that seemed very likely to, for some of their behaviors, but sometimes animals, smaller animals would die faster. And so, but of course there's always those scientists that just want to know more. And back in 2009, there was a biochemist named Brian Fry that said, well, let's look at these bacterial strains. There's 50 of them. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get in their mouth and see what they do. And actually, in contrast to popular opinion, the bacteria in their mouth weren't that horrific. Okay. And so instead, what he found was that they have venom glands. 
situated in their lower jaw. Okay. And it's actually these venom glands that release basically a molecular cocktail, for lack of better terms, that over time induces paralysis, extreme blood loss, tissue damage, pain. You can't, your wounds won't clot. So all the issues that happens typically with a venomous snake bite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chris. So contrary to popular belief that it's this bacteria from all the rotting, nasty, grave robbing things that they do, that was the culprit of the animals dying off after a few days or whenever, it's actually this venom that's responsible for it. That's huge, though, because, I mean, everything we've seen or the videos I've watched, it's the, they say the bacteria. Sure, so, sure. And now, yeah, but yeah. that is probably because there's, of course, another group that's kind of come in and said, well, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, mm. uh, so Brian's group says they have a clean mouth. Some people are saying, well, it might be a little bit of both because a lot of reptiles have venom, but don't, they don't always play a hugely active role in catching and consuming the prey. So other scientists aren't, don't want to fully commit to the venom theory and because there might be multiple, there might be many layers of what's going so on. So basically what you're saying is what we always happens in science. Is that climate change? Climate change is real. Most 93% of all scientists agree that study this stuff. I think it's higher than, um, it's higher than 93. I think. 97. Yeah. Well, 93%. Yeah. 93% of like scientists and then like 97% of climate, climate scientists. scientists. So okay, yeah. yeah, something like that. But yeah, like anything in science, it's up for debate until we get more data. You know, yes. so yes, but it's still, it's still really cool. But what's even super cool from the biotechnology point is that the Komodo dragon bite is deadly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Probably from the venom, maybe a little bit of bacteria, mm-hmm. but not to another Komodo dragon. Yeah, I know. I know the resistant to it. Yeah. So yeah. these antibodies that Komodo dragons have. Oh, there you go. For there you these go. bacterias okay. and or for venom is. Mm hmm. Could be could really, be developed. could be really useful. So yeah, just super fascinating. Uh, and, but their saliva is na- I mean, it, it, they have a lot of it, but they, once again, they they produce so much of it because they, a lot of times they swallow their prey whole. Uh, I mean, their nutrition is just, is just incredible. Uh, I don't know. Did you read about how they have so many muscles in their jaw and throat that allows them to just open up their jaw. Well, yeah. So yeah, that's where I was going next. The intramandibular hinge. Yes. That lower jaw can open up so wide so they can eat fast, eat large chunks. And then we, we've been hinting at it as far as them eating these huge meals, almost doubling their weight. So they can eat up to 80% of their body weight in a single feeding. Isn't Nothing's that nuts? I don't no, think nothing. we've had anything like that on the podcast, nothing. Chris. Nope, 80%. not eighty percent. No. Let's pretend I weighed a hundred pounds. That would I could eat eighty <laughs> pounds, eighty pounds yes. in a sitting. That is what insane. So yeah, yeah. My nutrition be... friends, like, what is going on in their gut? Like, how Women's is that even? Huge. Yeah. How is that even a thing? It's incredible. Uh, we need to figure out. We need to figure out the physiological dynamics of that. And right, right. I don't need to even need, 80%. I don't need to eat like 
80 pounds, if I could just have like a pound during a sitting and not oh gain a pound, yeah. I'd be happy. You know what I mean? My God, yeah. goodness gracious. That's, that's huge. It's huge. And then they eat it all. Bones, hooves, hide, the intestines. They'll rip and, sh- and shred them to fling out all the food that that animal ate. And Can you show me intestines. that? Can you show me that uh, visual again? Chris <laughs> again? is just doing the, <laughs> side just, to side. he was doing the, I'll call it the Komodo dragon flesh fling. fling. The flesh fling. That's what I'll know. do at dinner. I'll just yeah. fling it. <laughs> fling that chicken. So yeah, crazy stuff. I mean, crazy stuff. And I know you, you were really excited about some behavior because you were sending me some articles. Oh yes. Their behavior is gnarly. And so a lot of it has to do with eating that I'm going to talk about because I think that's been studied the most, um, except for mm-hmm. maybe some of their behaviors when they're under human care. But it is, although they do consume everything, did you read about how they will regurgitate a gastric pellet similar to like an owl that will sometimes oh, no, contain the horns yeah. and the, and, uh, the stuff that the they teeth. can't digest, yeah. the bones yeah. Yeah, or the hooves or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so crazy. Ugh. pretty, pretty, in, pretty interesting. Yeah. And then Chris, my, probably my favorite, like, I just like mm. to picture myself eating 80 pounds of food and sitting. <laughs> I couldn't see it. But listen, what they do, it. just try. You weren't do. even, you didn't, you didn't even, when you were pregnant, you didn't gain 80 pounds. Like, oh gosh, no. Thank you. Unless you were like, gracious. unless you had five of them in no, there. No, no. I did gain a salad 40, which is way too much, but you should, I think you're supposed to be between like 20 and 30, but I had a good time and I had a lot 40, of ice cream and it's all pounds? gone now. So it's all good. Yeah, I would have um, never guessed you gained that much. Yeah. Thank you. I okay. wear it well. Yes. Uh, they yeah. make some really nice maternity clothes these days. Very slimming. You're so tiny. This behavior is so hilarious. So in, because they like to eat fast, which I can relate to, they it's been documented that they attempt to speed up the eating process by ramming the carcass against a tree to force it down its throat. <laughs> oh, God. And Chris. When, when you mean too much. <laughs> sometimes they, they're ramming so hard to get this goat or pig or whatever oh, that they'll actually knock the tree down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. These guys are, are awesome. Awesome, That's awesome, insane. awesome. Like, and one more bite. One more bite, Angie. Just give me that tree. One more bite. I'll get it. <laughs> so funny. Just just ramming, just jamming it down. I need to see a video of that, but I didn't find one on YouTube. Yeah. But I read about that behavior. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just a fun visual. But true to reptile form, they have a slow metabolism. And so they they can eat only once a month. So that's, that's why they, that's, they're hungry when they eat, right? They, right, they, right. they're eating mm-hmm. fast. And then, and some of the speed eating probably has to do with the social dynamic that happens at a feeding site. So Chris, in regards to their hunting behavior, so this is if they're not scavenging, digging up graveyards or eating carrion, things like this. Uh, when they're hunting, the main tactic they use is ambush hunting. They hunt solitary. I did read somewhere that they hunt in groups, but I couldn't find anything to back it up. So in the literature, so if anybody could find cooperative hunting, cause there is a, some cool videos on YouTube about with them surrounding and pushing a deer, poor little deer. It's tough to into the water. And there's like seven or eight Komodos just like, keeping this deer in the water and and studying the carnivores like wolves and things like that. And orca, that would be cooperative hunting. And I, there was some mention of that, but 
most of the experts' papers that I read said solitary hunting. So I, I would love somebody to, to enlighten me more because if, if there's cooperative reptile hunting, that's just incredible. I mean, but regardless. What about Nile crocs like during yes. the vast migrations, right? There are, yes, so. that is one of the documented really cool teamwork, if you will. Um, but I don't know how strategize. I'd have to do yeah. more research, but one of the papers alluded to that. And I was like, oh, we'll have to. But that's not, that's not I, African painted dog hunting. Like, no. Right. So, uh, but this was anyway. So in general, they're solitary, but I think what in this video, probably why they were all hanging out at the water's edge is because when there is a kill, that scent of a fresh kill, as far as 11 kilometers downwind, basically brings all the Komodos to the yard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the area. So back in the 1980s, it was observed an average of four per kill would congregate, but up to 17 at some kill sites, which is just a pack that I don't want to get involved in. Right. Uh, but they, but what has been documented in, in, in the literature is that they have this strong hierarchical social system that's maintained by aggression. So the older, more dominant Komodo dragons get to eat and the younger and the juveniles will un, hopefully understand their threat displays and hang out in the back, hang up in trees because juveniles can climb. And basically wait until they have a free chance towards the end of getting whatever's left. And it is also known too that Komodo dragons have no problem cannibalizing on their own species. And so that's where the younger ones have to be smart and get out of the way. Otherwise they could easily be part of the meal. So just in general, younger Komodo dragons keep away from adults, not only at the, at the feeding site, but also just in general, they've been known to actually roll in poop or dung Mm -hmm. to hide their own, (laughs) to hide their juvenile scent from adult Komodo dragons because they don't want them attacking them. So just really, really fascinating, like just super amazing Ambush predators, of course, they eat carrion. They're just, they'll just, they'll go for it. They are not picky. What? Yeah, I know. They'll eat anything. They'll eat anything. Uh, and with that being said, Chris, they swim and they swim well and they've been reported swimming miles offshore to traverse to other islands. It's interesting. Like you think of their migration patterns. If, I mean, how many million, 900,000 years ago? Cause we talked about how in that part of the world, Oceans might have been a little bit lower. So, yeah, they probably did some swimming. Yeah, definitely, Chris. I mean, they just, they know how to get it done, right? Like, if humans don't get in the way and kill them, I think they, they would be just fine, right? Uh, but one of the last things I found really awesome about their behavior is talking about their personality. I worked with a lot of reptiles. I did not work with Komodo dragons. I worked with their smaller cousin, the bearded dragon and mm. iguanas. <laughs> 
just a, just a tiny bit smaller. Just a little bit smaller. Just a tiny. <laughs> but just as fun. They had a they have a lot of the um, beer dragons might be small, but they have big behavior. <laughs> I, thought I thought you were going to say like a monitor lizard or something at the zoo. <laughs> no, dragons. I worked with dragons. Okay. I, okay. Bearded dragons. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Got it. So Got not it. Komodos, but bearded. Uh, but all the reptiles I work with, whether it was a tortoise or a boa constrictor, they all had personality to me. Now, granted, I love them and I understand subtle behaviors and I have a lot of respect for subtle behaviors. You and I who like to watch horses eat grass for 16 hours a day. So I, I'm a pre, I'm appreciative of subtle behaviors, but but it's definitely been noted for a lot of the caretakers um, and zoological institutions throughout the world that Komodo dragons display signs of play and interact. They like interaction. For instance, at the National Zoo in D.C., where John and I just went um, a few weeks ago, phenomenal zoo. Love it. It's free. You should totally go there. It's amazing. They have a Komodo dragon. And over the years, the keepers noticed that she would come when they whistled and she could recognize different keepers probably had one she preferred versus one she didn't. And she had a fun loving side. She would grab objects out of the keeper's pockets and like to play tug of war. And so this intrigued the keepers and they started giving her lots of enrichment or quote unquote toys, frisbees, balls, blankets, you name it. And she had interest in all of them and exhibited signs of playing with them. And I, there was some awesome video on YouTube. Thank goodness, YouTube. What would we do without you? And it does. It looks to me, I'm no play expert, but it does. It really looks like play. And play is a sign of intelligence and interaction and engagement. And just going to show that although they might be grave robbers or have venom or, you know, you don't want to run into one at Komodo National Park, but... In the same instance, they are really cool and intelligent, uh, especially for a reptile. And that there's still a lot that we need, that we don't know about them. I mean, we recently thought they were deaf and now we know they hear. They just have, uh, to a lesser capacity than us humans. So I think it's kind of like that whole octopus thing is like, they're probably intelligent in their own ways. I mean, the way that they can obviously kill prey and eat prey, uh, that we don't even know about. We're still studying. And so I'd like them to be around longer so we could study them. Yeah. It's pretty funny to, to, to think about reptiles and the reptilian brain and play behavior and all that stuff. So again, much to learn. Some of the cool stuff though, reading, you know, I, I surprised me a little bit was a bit, little bit on the repro, right? Yes, Chris. Uh, some of the really interesting, I guess, and probably more jaw dropping behaviors, can come from some of the males that engage in this ritual uh, to combat with other males in order mm -hmm. to gain rights to a female. Mm -hmm. And if you can picture it, if you haven't already, uh, you should Google it or YouTube it, but they stand upright like Godzilla mm -hmm. and wrestle with each other. Yeah, and they, off, they basically try to throw the loser to the ground and they have the tail to kind of balance them out. And they often draw blood and it could be a mess and just very interesting to watch because they're just so big, right? Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. tall. But what happens is once a male wins and establishes that he's the best wrestler, 
Uh, the female will give off a scent in her feces that basically the males can detect. Uh, imagine through their tongue, right? And it tells them, okay, hey, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's t- time. And then the male's romantic. He'll rub his chin on her head. He'll scratch her back, lick her body. You know, he's <laughs> a real Romeo, right? Yes. And, and if she likes him, she'll lick him back and then he'll lift her tail and they'll breed. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. After mating, a male will stay with a female for a few days, probably not for courtship, but more just to keep wrestling other males to keep, keep, away <laughs> keep from those her. other males away, right? Yeah. His genetics, uh, yeah. And then in interruptile fashion, uh, she'll have an internal gestation of about 49 days, and then she'll lay the eggs. The female will lay about 30 eggs, give or take, and... What she does is she actually steals a nest from a megapode, which is like a large chicken-like bird that makes its nest in the ground. Mm-hmm. And these nests are pretty big that they they borrow or steal, if you will. They are three feet deep, so about a meter deep, and up to 10 feet across or three meters. So Wow, that's a huge nest. Yeah. <laughs> that's enormous. Mm-hmm. And this is what's fascinating. Guess how long... Those eggs that are laid in this nice nest that she borrowed from a megapode. Guess how long those eggs? Oh, me and incubation incubate. sixty days. No, higher. Oh, really? Okay, one hundred and twenty. Higher. Higher. One hundred eighty. One hundred eighty. Higher. Really? Three sixty. <laughs> I'm pointing. Yes. Nine months. Not quite or... three sixty. Nine months. Wow. That, really? A human. I know. Mm-hmm. That's a, for. That's crazy. Okay. It's very, very unusual because of the length of time. Yeah. And then also the female will sp- spend a considerable amount. Of, she's a good mama, kind of, mm-hmm. sort of. She'll leave the baby. <laughs> no, <laughs> Nobody's a good mama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She Well, she spends a lot of time guarding the nest from predators mm-hmm. for a long time. And so it's really hard for her to hunt for food mm-hmm. and she'll lose a lot of weight and give up a lot of resources. So now she's only good for a while because she does then abandon the nest basically during their wet season. Mm -hmm. So I failed to mention that breeding season is like in the summer. So May through August. So around December, which is their wet season, she's out. She's done. Now there's the eggs are still incubating. They they still have to incubate for a few more months to become fully developed and then I guess they're on their own after that. So from the, from then on, the eggs are on their own. And those that are successful, the hatchlings weigh about 100 grams and are only about 40 centimeters in length. And when they're young, they're very vulnerable to other predators, including other Komodo dragons. So young Komodos quickly learn to live in trees, mm-hmm. to stay away from other Komodo dragons. Mm-hmm. And they're also more agile than adults, so they can, like, get around. Um, about after eight months, they have to come down from the trees because they're getting too big and their diet becomes more trust- terrestrial. So they start eating mm-hmm. more things mm-hmm. on the ground. And so around five years old, this is also very unique for a reptile. Around five right. years old, this is when they start to hunt larger prey. Mm-hmm. And they'll continue to grow. And Chris, what's really important too to consider regarding their conservation 
is that the females don't reach sexual maturity until they're nine years old and a male is 10 or thereafter, 10 years okay. old. Okay. So that's a long time to yeah. survive in order to pass off your genetics. I mean, we said they live up to 30, but that's still debatable in the wild. They, they're still mm-hmm. debating that. Yeah. No, no, Angie, I read the, the interesting parthenogenesis that yes. can happen, which is insane as a reproductive physiologist. Yeah. If you're a lady Komodo dragon, you don't need a dude. <laughs> it's usually dude genetic diversity there. Oh, Case closed. well, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. I think you win that one, but still technically you don't need a dude. Uh, yes, there have been a few reports of Komodo dragons basically becoming moms without a male round. And so they have laid eggs and produce healthy babies without the, all the, without the wrestling and the licking and the copulation and all that stuff. And so it's very interesting. Basically they like other lizards experience parthenogenesis, which are two eggs become fertilized instead of a sperm and an egg. And parthenogenesis is known to occur in about some 70 species in the world, but it's only more recently been documented in Komodo dragons living under human care. And this has been seen at zoos such as London's Chester Zoo and then the London Zoo as well. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Something something in London, I guess. <laughs> I mean, but, but just how fast, I mean, yeah. I think we still don't understand a lot of the mechanisms behind it, what triggers it. How long without a male is there? Is temperature involved? Are hormones involved? Are I mean, obviously they are. How so? Not a lot is known. Besides, Komodo dragons are rad. Yeah, they are, (laughs) and they're in trouble. I mean, leads into conservation. They're vulnerable. You know, different reports anywhere from three to six thousand left. You know, I it's the the one. World Animal Foundation site had them at 6,000. So you're talking 1,700 on Komodo, 1,300 on Renaka, only 100 on Gila Montang, and 2,000 on Flores, the large island. So they are protected within the Komodo National Park. Some of the challenges is, you know, they're not only losing their habitat, but they're being captured to become pets. Not a good pet. And they just. Horrible pet. Maybe one of the worst pets we've potentially that we've ever covered. My favorite no, honey badger. Blue ring octopus uh, would be a pretty bad pet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All, yeah there's some things yeah. that kill you. But yeah, it's just dogs and cats. Yeah, I've got stuff. naughty enough dogs and cats to keep me busy for a lifetime. It's gotten so bad, Angie, that Indonesia is probably going to close Komodo Island off in 2020. So there's a plan to close the island off to to anybody uh, tourism in 2020. So. They are in peril. You know, there's not a lot left, but there are people fighting for them, right? Oh my goodness. Yes. I want to give a shout out to Komodo Survival Program. The Komodo Survival Program can be found at www.komododragon.org. And it's an Indonesian based nonprofit organization that basically has the mission to provide information on wildlife biology, management strategies, and conservation for the Komodo dragon and its natural habitat. They utilize local expertise to help get all this done in the fields of research, conservation, and community engagement activities. A lot of great research is coming out of there. 
that can help local authorities figure out how to better manage the populations that are still around. And the Komodo survival program is really critical for helping monitor the populations that are remaining. And of course, keeping us updated on their ecology and their biology and their reproductive sciences. So just really, really important. Now I could not find a Facebook group for Komodo survival program, but they have a gorgeous website filled with tons of facts, beautiful pictures. I mean, you can email. So we'll put a link on our show notes. So you can just go to allcreaturespod.com, check out the Komodo dragon episode and scroll down to find the Komodo survival program. But the Komodo survival program is definitely recognized by AZA for all the work that they are doing and also recognized by several international organizations. And the one that I want to give a huge shout out to today, mm-hmm. our buddies, our Aussie buddies, yes, the Australian Reptile Park. And the Australian Reptile Park can be found on Facebook. And of course, they have a nice website. But the Australian Reptile Park is a zoo that is opening up a global campaign to save the Komodo dragon. They have a crowdfunding going and all the money raised by the Australian Reptile Park on their crowdfunding sources will go to support the Komodo Survival Program, which is huge because they're obviously a big favorite zoo. And so I'm just really want to give them a huge shout out. Thank you, Australian Reptile Park. And we love what you're doing for your Komodo Dragons at your park. They have some ambassador animals at their park. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're doing for Komodos in the wild. And we need more of what you're doing um, in order to help save these guys. And interestingly enough, our buddy Corbin Maxey. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn more about the Australian Reptile Park and the amazing keeper staff that take care of the Komodo dragons on a daily basis, even take them for walks, exercise them, keep them healthy, can probably tell you how smart they are. Our buddy Corbin Maxey recently interviewed them in January, the Mm -hmm. Australian Reptile Park, and has just an amazing interview podcast all about Komodo dragons. So Corbin did the work for us, so we don't have Mm -hmm. to do that. (laughs) And so we'll put a link to that podcast of Corbin's uh, with the Australian Reptile Park on our show notes. So you can hopefully fall in love with Australian with Komodo dragons, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, the Australian Reptile Park. And number three, of course the Komodo survival program. They need help. They need our support. So if you can, please uh, donate. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to tell Julie to do this to her backyard and a shout out to Joe Ricicci again, my good friend uh, to help reptiles in gardens. That's the conservation tips this week is things you can do to, to help your native wildlife and where you are in the world. So one of the thing is you can, you can create a pond in your backyard that can attract amphibians. You know, you can do that. You can allow your lawn to grow a little bit longer, which provides some cover for reptiles. I like this. You can create a, a log or piles, you know, of branches or something to act as a refuge for reptiles. You can place reptile uh, refuges in sunny locations. So in your garden, things like you know, slabs, some of those garden slabs, paving slabs you use, roofing slates you can put there. 
And they're not, you know, they look nice in the garden, but they provide escape in areas for reptiles to hide or some amphibians. One thing people have is garden netting. You have to be careful because if you stretch garden netting over, it, why it can help lizards, it, it has been shown that snakes can get entangled with it. So, you know, it should be larger than four centimeters and keep it tight to, to keep that. But you can go out in your yards and create a haven for reptiles for survival from your dogs and cats or other domestic pets that we have. Uh, and then also natural predators, you know, all the birds and stuff. So things you can do to help reptiles in your area of the world. Now, Angie, I said in the beginning, what movie did Komodo dragons inspire? And I thought, obviously, Godzilla. Me too. Because, of course, Godzilla. It yeah, looks like he, Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they did the, I think, you know, he was based on Komodo dragons or whatever, but that's not true. It was King Kong. And I was like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> King, how do you make, how do you make that, that that's a uh, link? Yeah. But it's, it, but it's true. So the story is in 1912, a Dutch uh, army guy uh, went to Komodo Island and shot and killed a dragon and sent it to a naturalist. And this was before they even, the Western world knew that these existed. So this naturalist wrote up the, the paper on these massive liz- lizards. Then you go to 14 years later in 1926, an American, uh, Douglas Burden, he went and captured a few of these lizards and brought them back for the American Museum of Natural History. So he wrote up a memoir on dragon lizards of Komodo, gave the dragons their nickname, and that is what inspired huh. King Kong. So with bringing these specimens back, a couple were, were set at the Bronx Zoo. So King Kong, also Komodo, so the K okay. is what inspired that name and also inspired that movie that you had this giant lizard, so then they're thinking a giant ape, you know, gorilla that became King Kong and, you know, all that the stories is, about that. So yeah, that was kind of so cool. Unique, right? I mean, they're definitely, <laughs> but they're definitely awe-inspiring. They, mean, like I said, just yeah. we'll put some videos up of the behavior of them wrestling yeah. of things like that. I mean, they are eating. Oh my gosh. Like I said, gobbling up some, <laughs> some of these poor, poor animals, but they're definitely movie inspiring. I guess I wouldn't have thought that it was King Kong, but that's why we do this podcast. It's all about learning. I know. I know. Well, you know, share this episode with all your reptile friends. You know, it's 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 a it's a fun species to learn about. Uh, you know, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, All Creatures Pod, or All Creatures Podcast. You'll find us. Uh, but thank you for listening, and we will be back soon with another species. Thank you so much. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at AllCreaturesPod.com.